Bizzle. You called the Jesse James. Jesse, aka the Bizzle. Oh, the Bizzle. Thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle. Thank you, the Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzle cast, welcome back, baby. We are here with my DC senior contributor, Jason Jimbo Ritter. Jimbo, it's been over two months. <clears throat> it's it's great to have you back, and uh, I am so pumped to talk about The Witcher with you. Witcher? I thought we were talking about The Mandalorian. Oh! Baby Yoda. Why did you think we were talking about The Mandalorian? Is it because I'm one of three people in the nation who doesn't think it's amazing? <laughs> I figured you're the Star Wars guy. You love Star Wars. Oh, Star Wars. So welcome back, Jimbo. Um, we're, we're, of course, going to be focusing on DC topics. But as you know, I like, especially when we're very focused on one thing, to start um, with some pro- general pop culture questions. First of all, man, <clears throat> I want to let you know and let the Bizzlecast listeners know that not only has December been the best month in about 14 months for the Bizzlecast in terms of downloads, thank you all very much. It's mostly been solo Witcher podcast. And while I love doing solo podcasts, uh, Jason, usually when I have guests on, do better for obvious reasons. You know, people like hearing multiple people. So the fact that my solo Witcher podcasts are doing well is, is all due to you wonderful people out there. Now, thank you very much. Um, but Jason, not only has the last, uh, this month, which I guess isn't over yet, been my best month all year, but the three highest months all year have been of the last four and four of the last five, if that makes sense, or four of five. Um, and so even though my high point for the Bizzlecast was the end of last year, um, there was a bit of the dip, a bit dip, and then it came up in the spring and then all of a sudden, boom, like last year, like clockwork, the final months, I guess when it gets closer to holiday season and it's cold, people have more, um, uh, more time for it. Um, really quickly, man. And again, welcome back to the podcast before we get into uh, DC comics and after some preliminary topics, uh, we, as, as you know, you know, podcasting has been a growth industry which seems like it wouldn't be the case on the surface because people watch so much video and stuff right so what you don't talk specifically like theories about why the Bizzlecast is doing well but as someone who I'm sure listens to I know you listen to my podcast I'm sure you listen to other podcasts what's your theory in general about why podcasting is doing so well even while the music industry continues to have problems and so forth well I think people like to hear opinions and theories that's what i think it's because they want to hear what it's like it's like the new um like ebert and ebert and stuff so mm-hmm. um you know people in the here like if there's a trailer come out what, what they thought of a trailer or of a certain movie news topic like we're going to probably do today so they want to hear that stuff and also i probably contribute some of this downloads because i was listening yeah. to the podcast Oh, absolutely. And that was where I was getting to was, even though we haven't recorded since mid-October, that's when the spike began. And, you know, people download stuff over time. And my most downloaded podcast of the year, Jason, you'll be interested in this just from a, a, a statistical standpoint, has been in the last four months. Do you want to guess what that podcast is? Um, Is it to do with a certain movie out? No, I've done a, no no Rise of Skywalker coverage since the tra- the final trailer was released. Actually, it's 
it was my Witcher prediction podcast. So The Witcher came out December 20th. Spoiler alert, guys. Oh, yeah. You know I gave The Witcher a 10 out of 10 A+. Rogue One, 10 out of 10 A+, Jason. I didn't just give it a 10 out of 10 A+. I gave it a Rogue One level 10 out of 10 A+. That's how much I like it. Uh, I'm totally biased. But the point I want to make here is that my most downloaded podcast is a Witcher podcast, but it was my predictions podcast from December 10th, so 10 days before, even though I'd been covering The Witcher and making predictions for months, I did a podcast that had to do with why I thought The Witcher would be so successful, and I, I talked specifically about Game of Thrones, what worked and what didn't, and part of why I thought Game, uh, The Witcher would be successful is that it was going to have things like violence and nudity and other adult themes that people liked in the guilty pleasure of Game of Thrones, but it also had heroes and more traditional fantasy stuff that I think people were were, were, um, were hungry for as a contrast to Game of Thrones, and I didn't even finish the podcast because I was going away on vacation, and not only did that become my most listened podcast of the year, uh, Jason, but it got most of its hits after The Witcher was released. So... So my predictions podcast, which, which you know, everything was unconfirmed at that point, you know, got like, you know, 50, 60, 70 plus confirmed, you know, uh, unique downloads, and then all of a sudden tons after the fact. So my point being... You know, just because, you know, our Justice League podcast didn't get a ton of hits right off the bat, it's continually getting hits as, as time goes on. I think that's the other part of podcasting, man, that's attractive. You can respond to this. But as someone who discovered me in podcasting and then listened to a bunch of mine, podcasting is sort of binging, bingeable in the way like Netflix is, right? Right, and and the thing I like you, you you can I like about it too is you don't have to sit at home to listen to it too. Like you can listen to it like if you're like out shopping or driving and stuff. Because I have listened to the Vizzle when I've driven already. Oh yes, yeah. before. Uh, yeah, I listen to all the podcasts, including my own. Um, Guys, just a quick process thing in terms of the Bizzlecast, if, if you haven't listened to all of them, which is, I listen to my podcast a lot, um, and uh, that may sound egotistical, uh, Jason, but it has to do more with me wanting to get better. That's why I listen to myself in my earphones as I'm talking. Uh, I'm not just hearing you, I'm hearing me live in my earphones as I'm talking to you to make sure I'm yelling not as much as, as you know, limit the yelling and limit like other sounds. But I listen to my podcast a lot to get better because I tend to ramble, especially on solo podcasts and commentaries. So I'm always trying to get better, but I do listen to other podcasts. And yeah, I, I think that's one of the main reasons, Ritter, is, is when, you know, when you're on the go, especially driving, but anything like being in the airport, moving, like anything where you're moving and can't be watching video or playing games, right? Audio is the way to go. And while I love music, I used to be the music industry. We all love music, the music that we love. There is something that sort of I find relaxing about podcasts, right? And again, you can get your sports news or your comic book news or whatever via podcast in long form, which I love. Yeah, I, I, I like it too. I mean, and and people have done a lot of new things with podcasts over this year and stuff like that too. So it's very, it's very interesting to see what they're gonna what's gonna happen with podcasting mm-hmm. moving forward in the new year. 
So I have another question or two about this. Um, actually, now that it's sort of end of the year and it's been very up and down this year with the Bizzlecast, do you mind if I ask you one or two more questions about podcasting? As you know, guys, we're going to be doing best of night. Tw- we're definitely going to be doing best of 2019. L- things we're looking forward to 2020, all framed around the DC uh, uni- universes, um, but other things as well. So to do a little retrospection here, Jason, you know, <laughs> now it's 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 well known, at least among me and uh, close Bizzlecast listeners, that you quote unquote discovered me via the Age of Ultron podcast, where I'm just, is one of my first commentaries, I'm totally giddy, it's where I predicted Elizabeth Olsen was going to be the next big thing, etc., etc., etc. A side note, Jason, I am going to be doing a, what I'm calling the Mia Culpa Bizzle podcast, um, because I was mostly wrong about Ahsoka Tano, semi-spoilers, uh, I wasn't completely wrong about Ahsoka being episode 9, but it wasn't what I thought, um, and so I want to do a podcast of like my best five predictions and my worst five or whatever uh so if, 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 if that'll be a few months down the road but i would love to have maybe you and simmy both on where you can just kind of critique me about it or, or whatever because i've made some great um, predictions over the years some less great ones so you discovered me with ultron you can bring up other podcasts you listen to if you want but like just as in, not to pat my back because i do plenty of self back patting but like i just out of curiosity like like you know, with every podcast, you get hooked with something. What was something that that hooked you or got you interested in my podcast when you heard Ultron? Because I know why you <coughs> picked Ultron. You were specifically looking for an Ultron commentary uh, with a, with a different perspective. And then, like other podcasts, you're into like it can be general or specific. But when you're when you're discovering a new podcast, what's the thing you're really looking for? Like you know, the positivity of a podcaster. You know, I don't like. Them that that people when they're like very very negative about stuff like all the time. Agreed. That's why I liked your Age of Ultron commentary because it was the only podcast commentary I found where no one was bashing Age of Ultron. So that was refreshing. Did you did you listen to that lined up with the movie? And secondary question. Do you think people uh, are listening mostly uh, um, on the go to my commentaries? Uh, I do so many. It seems unlikely people are lining it up, which is why, by the way, Jason, you probably noticed, especially with my TV podcasts, I go right into it without the full countdown spiel and so forth. Um, because I, I, to answer my own question, I think most people are listening on the go. It sounds like you listen to Ultron on the go. It, it, do you think... Uh, I know it's working for you. Do you think it works for other people that that I do commentaries that do really well, even if people aren't like you know lining it up with TV or whatever? Well, I I lined up the oh you did line it up commentary so okay, but so I mean yeah. some some commentaries I have done that because a I probably don't have the movie or TV show mm-hmm. on uh, I didn't buy it on on YouTube yet mm-hmm. to watch yet so. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of them, and B, it's probably because I don't probably have the time that week, and I just want to listen to what they have to say. Totally. So I probably, and I probably will line up later, so. Totally. Yeah. All right, do you mind talking, we'll talk a couple Star Wars topics, and then we'll jump into DC. Does that sound okay? Okay. So you know me well enough, and follow me close enough. That you must have noticed that about six months ago, I started pivoting heavily away from Star Wars comparatively and heavily towards The Witcher. Yeah, it went from Mando to Henry Cavill. Exactly. 
God bless his chiseled, gorgeous, amazing self. And, dude, this isn't a prediction, but even though I'm so-so on Man of Steel and hated BVS, you know I love him in Justice League. I've always been a Henry Cavill supporter, thinking he's a really good actor, and that it was Zack Snyder in the material holding him back. I think it's clear, considering even people who don't like The Witcher are admitting he's like the perfect Geralt and nailing the role. And, And most of us who love it or really like the show are just blown away by his performance. So I'm not going to call that a prediction because Cavill was already a star, but I think you agree with me that we at least sense the potential with Cavill um, before all this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, because we were, I was talking about him with Father Rudy the other day because he kept asking me what other roles did Cavill have before Superman. I said, sure. well, like, like he wasn't really known before. He was on then, the Tudors. Yeah. Actually, yeah. which is also like medieval TV stuff, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, to the wide public, I mean, Superman really put him on the map, so. Yeah, it didn't so work it was- out as well for Brandon Routh. That'll come up later when we talk Crisis, because I love Routh, oh, yeah. too. Uh, and both of them were in uh, bad or, or mediocre Superman movies. Um, but there's <laughs> numerous reasons why Cavill not only survived, but is now reaching a new level of stardom in different media. So you must have noticed, guys, that I, I pivoted towards The Witcher. Um, and Jason, as you also might know, I am not only not a fan of the Mandalorian TV show and haven't been from the beginning, but I'm flabbergasted that it's so popular. <clears throat> but on top of that, for people to think Mandalorian is this great piece of work or art or even super entertaining and then turn on Rise of Skywalker for being cheesy and predictable and samey makes even less sense to me. I'm much more consistent. I don't think the movie or the TV show are very good. And spoiler alert, Jedi Geek Girl, my main Star Wars contributor along with Simi, who is way more obsessed with Star Wars than me, hated the Rise of Skywalker so much that she's in the Star Wars is dead to me phase where she's tweeting five times a day about how terrible the movie is and how Star Wars has killed her happiness and, and I'm not making this up means a lot to a lot of people. Um, but dude, um, I, 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 I'm curious. First of all, what was your rating? Let me break this down. I'll I'll go, I'll go one at a time here with star Wars. And then I'll, I have a good link between this and DC. What was your impression of star Wars? I'd love for you to give a ranking, you know, a to F or one to 10 or whatever, you know, mine, which is a C plus, and maybe it's going to go to B minus on repeat watchings at the moment. It's C plus. And, um, I do want to say, uh, Ritter, you, you know, it's the Vizzlecast, and so any opinion you have is valid, and you know that people don't listen to my podcast who are idiot haters, they would have gotten off this bandwagon a long time ago, so please be honest. Yeah. I will say, though, Jason, before I throw it to you for your opinion of Rise of Skywalker, that while Last Jedi split audiences, this is splitting audiences in a much different way, in the sense of... I have friends who, like, for example, like, I have a group of podcast friends on The Saga Continues who agree to varying levels that they don't really love The Last Jedi, but they're split even amongst themselves and their friends about whether Rise of Skywalker not only was decent or not decent, but whether it was straight up bad um, or, or pretty bad, like I think, and Sean Gerber and, and some other, who you know, and some other people think it was straight up not good. Um, but Paul Herman, who works with Sean Gerber uh, on podcasts, thinks it's like one of the best Star Wars films of all time. So that's interesting. So, Jason Rayner, you didn't spoil anything for me with the movie. Thank you. Uh, so I don't know. Did Who saw it first, me or you? I'll let you go. 
Star Wars expert. Okay, well, I don't remember who saw it first, but I give it a C plus. It was incoherent. The shift to Poe and Finn I wanted, but it, but the writing and, and the pacing was way off. We were all nervous about Batman v Superman writer Chris Terrio being involved, and this proves two things, Ritter, in my opinion. One, J.J. Abrams is great at rebooting franchises, Sea Force Awakens and Star Trek 09, and terrible at the second movie in those franchises, Sea Star Trek in the Darkness and Rise of Skywalker. And he had Lawrence Kasdan writing with him, and, and, and replacing Lawrence Kasdan with the Batman v Superman writer for the final movie was a big, big, big mistake. Ryan Johnson should have been um, consulted, uh, but also Dave Filoni and Favreau and the people who are succeeding on Mandalorian Lorian maybe should have been consulted. He had too much on his plate. There was too much to wrap up. And it was one of those movies, Jason, where it was nonstop action, but it bludgeoned me over the head to the point where I became numb to it. The Palpatine stuff was way less cool than I thought. It went on way longer than I thought. The Ray, let's, we won't go totally full spoilers, but the Ray family reveal is completely against what's going on. And Jason, I, I'm still not going to love The Last Jedi to the level of Rogue One and Force Awakens, for example, or the original nevertheless the last jedi is looking like a much better film and the things that they were sort of retconned that ryan johnson introduced in the last jedi like ray having no family and being a nobody and the stuff with her and luke and so forth they just completely changed taking rose out of the picture i don't like or agree with any of those decisions and so i i was just it was so incoherent it wasn't that it was bad it was just incoherent and, and bludging me over the head with special effects that i don't even remember like, for example, ahead of time, I'm like, oh, this space battle is going to put Rogue One to shame. But actually having a thousand ships versus a thousand ships, but you're still not really seeing them fight each other. Uh, to me, the Rogue One battle is, is continues to be the best Star Wars battle because there were a lot of ships, but everyone was engaged and it was dynamic like Return of the Jedi. Those are the two best battles. So even the big space battle didn't live up. So there was really nothing that stood out. The writing for Rey was not great. I didn't like the changes to her character. And as usual, the one character that did fine was Kylo Ren because Adam Driver's a brilliant actor and Kylo Ren's a great villain and so they could make it work uh, I as you know was on the fence about the whole Raylo Bendemption thing and what's really stunning is a lot of the people who hate the movie were hardcore Raylos and Bendemptionists and I'm like, guys, you might not like the movie, but we got full-on redemption of Ben Solo and a kiss before he died. Like, as Raylos, what else could you possibly want? But nope, everyone's dissatisfied among my crew, except for a handful of people. So that's what I got. What do you got for me on Rise of Skywalker? And we'll get into DC Comics. Well, it's this is the first Star Wars movie when I got out. I had to really think about what I watched because I was still trying to figure out what the heck I watched. Yep. Because... It is a mess of a film. It is. It's a hot mess. Really it's a definition of a hot mess. Yep. Yeah, it's... I mean, pe- I mean, there's people I mean, there's people out there who think Age of Ultron is a mess. No, not I like this. Not like this. Star Wars, yeah. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. That is a worse mess than Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron is totally not a mess. The original Avengers... Even if you think original Avengers is much better than Ultron, which is most people, not me, but most people, the original Avengers is much more of a mess, quote-unquote, in terms of unevenness of pacing and, and just some weird quirks and stuff in Ultron. Ultron, is, like the Winter Soldier, is almost too perfect um, in terms of Joss Whedon mastering it. And I think, you know, it, it's different. I agree with the, this this comparison here a little bit in that, 
the people that don't like Ultron, it's because they didn't like certain character choices and stuff. But if you get them talking about in the individual scenes, uh, you know, pe- people it, like they'll like a lot of parts of it. I guess what I'm saying is. Myself and people I've talked to don't like Rise of Skywalker for a bunch of reasons, but one of them is it's a hot mess and being incoherent, which is the word I keep saying. There's nothing incoherent about Ultron logically, right? If you follow Ultron, whether you love it or not, love it or not, each character beat and each scene follows logically from the previous one. I don't think that's the case with Rise of Skywalker. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that's a a great comparison. Yeah, like. Like let's let's look at the scene where uh, um, Ray crashes Kylo Ren's ship, right? And she tries to throw away the right lightsaber, and Luke scolds him. You should not throw a Jedi's weapon; should be handled with more respect. Right, which, which is just shot at the last Jedi. Yeah, yeah, and and that and that is part of the thing that I didn't like about it. It's like you know, there's no cohesiveness. You know, you know. You, you know, when you go, like, the thing about the original trilogy is, you know, they actually, you know, pay attention to what happened in the other movies, and it just seems like they didn't with this one, what happened with The Last Jedi at all, so it's just, yeah. Uh, quick news so, break. Just, um, Business Insider is reporting that while The Mandalorian dethroned Stranger Things as most watch show on television, well, my friend... My best prediction in many years, which I'm going to be living off of for at least the next six months, which is The Witcher being great, The Witcher has officially dethroned The Mandalorian as the biggest TV series in the world. I know The Mandalorian just ended, but some people are still catching up on The Mandalorian, and so what I was hoping would happen would be that Netflix would replace people's love of, of, or fill in the vacuum of love of Game of Thrones. But I knew that it was going to be going up head-to-head against both Rise of Skywalker, but specifically The Mandalorian. And as we've talked about, man, while Disney Plus is super powerful, they still have to put out great new content. And I think you and I agreed a few months ago when we talked about this that Amazon Prime and Netflix were going to be fine because they're putting out great shows. Well, it's official. The Witcher has dethroned The Mandalorian. <coughs> Excuse me. I- I'm-, I'm excited about that. Go ahead. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, so... And another thing is, uh, right? The mess that is Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I was hope You know, the, I was hoping it would be a lot... It, again, I'm just really upset because I was hoping it was a lot better because they said it was the end of the saga. You know, and they're saying, oh, everything's going to be wrapped up. So much pressure. Not really. So much pressure. Yeah, yeah, and everyone kept saying, you know... Will JJ stick the landing? Yes or no? I and, no. and, and dude, this is the thing. I was way wrong. Uh, I was so right about the Witcher, and so wrong that JJ would stick the landing. Um, let let me wrap up my end on this. But before I do, I need a grade for Rise of Skywalker. Um, and whether you think it might change. Well, I'm. Well, right now, if it, I was doing thumbs up, thumb down, and thumb in the middle, I'd probably go in the middle somewhere because I don't know. Give me a number or a letter, Ritter. No hedging. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe a maybe a C minus. Oh, you're going full C minus. Um, okay. Well, let me be more. Yeah, let well, me, you know, there was yeah. effort. 
but but you know it looks it looks like it's a mess of a assignment there so he could have maybe made it a little better yeah so i should be clear which is my c plus is for star wars movies so that means it's also getting compared to the prequels for example but in terms of just film yeah a c or c minus is actually not that far off from what i would um would say so, anyways, so, uh, uh, you know, part of the reason I think The Witcher's dethroned The Mandalorian is because it's a better show. Um, have you seen The Mandalorian? I'm still trying to get on, get the, my seventh, my... What have you at least heard trial. about it? And what's your theory, other than Baby Yoda, which is my theory, is it's just about Baby Yoda, that people say they like it. But what's your theory about why people like it? Well, I think they like it because it's, you know, like people love Boba and Jango Fett from the movies and stuff. So, uh-huh. Yep. And, you yeah, know, so, other than me thinking so, it's not a great show, not loving the actors, not, specifically not liking the writing or how it's filmed. I don't really like anything about it other than Baby Yoda, which everyone loves and is a sensation. I did say, side note, Jason, ahead of time that it would take the pressure off Rise of Skywalker, and that's indeed the case. It's, it's driving interest in Rise of Skywalker, which probably would be doing worse without Baby Yoda and The Mandalorian, but it's also taking the pressure off because, you know, if Rise of Skywalker makes... Oh, Jason, we need to talk about this. Right now, because the world is less interested than ever in Star Wars, outside of America and the English-speaking countries and so forth, and some of the Asian countries, at the moment, it's tracking not only less than The Last Jedi, money-wise, it's tracking Rogue One territory. And you might think, oh, Rogue One was considered a big success at a billion-plus dollars, but Jason... They expected to make so Force Awakens in 2015 made two billion half domestically, which is still the record, even more than Avengers. But they were never expecting to make two billion on Rogue One because it was new characters. It wasn't a Skywalker movie. There wasn't going to be Force and lightsaber stuff. And even though we knew there was going to be a Vader appearance, it was all new characters. But also a dark war movie that you couldn't take all the kids to. Right? That's not a family PG-13 movie, which is something we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about. There's a difference between pg-13 movies and family pg-13 movies rogue one was not that so they were thrilled at a billion a billion point one with rogue one if this movie loses to rogue one financially or is in that territory will be a huge huge disappointment for lucasfilm considering it's the end of the skywalker legacy yeah i just think i mean maybe they might want to take a break from the Star Wars movies for a bit because maybe people are starting well, to get you know what's tired funny of, is Kathleen of Kennedy already made that decision a year ago and so while I've defended Kathleen Kennedy endlessly my golden goddess you know I have to give her some criti- cri- critiques and criticisms about the recent properties Mandalorian and um, and Rise of Skywalker. Now, Mandalorian is very successful in doing great among all parts of the spectrum, from hardcore fans to casual fans. And so she does get a win on that, even though I don't like it. And we'll see what happens with Rise of Skywalker. But, dude, as you know, Kathleen Kennedy officially put the brakes on Star Wars movies about a year ago. 
Um, and that was even before they hired and then fired the double D's. And then Ryan Johnson was on the project, then off the project, then on the project, and now he seems like he's off the project again. They don't even have directors for future movies. What I'm saying is, I'm not saying that they expected or wanted Rise of Skywalker to fail, but they could smell that maybe people might be getting tired of a Star Wars movie every year. It's so expensive. And with Disney Plus, um, and dude, this will be a good, a, a good shift. Um, well, not a good shift, but to tease DC television, Star Wars started to realize that maybe we should focus on TV, but they, but they realized it before putting any more movies into production. So what you just said is true. I just want to give credit where credit's due, which is that people at Lucasfilm realized months or even a year plus ago that they wanted to put the brakes on the movies because, you know, it's been much more uneven than the, the early films, right? All right. Okay. Here we go, guys. Uh, we'll shift away from Star Wars. Thank you for talking with me about that. Um, and um, yeah, but there might be some Star Wars crossover then in the next uh, topic. So. Oh, one final question. A bit. H- having to do with my fandom. So I don't know if you've listened to recent podcasts with Simi or Jedi Geek Girl, but before this movie even came out, it's sort of in reaction to me disliking um, uh, Mandalorian. I, I told Simi and Jedi Geek Girl, who know me well and have done a lot of podcasts, I said I, I told them my dirty secret. And my dirty secret is, while Star Wars is my first love, and when it's hitting on all cylinders like Rogue One, you know, will be the priority for me on and off mic. Nevertheless, I love so many fantasy and science fiction properties, from The Witcher to Lord of the Rings to Dune, which we're getting next year, um, and, uh, you know... Uh, you know, in other stuff, um, in, in, in genre and the comic book stuff as well, but, but even just fantasy and sci-fi, I have so many things I love to read, watch. Dude, I finally, I'm back on The Expanse. That show's awesome. Great sci-fi show, but now that Amazon picked it up from sci-fi, it's getting even better. I love near future sci-fi, super sort of like hard science sci-fi, like The Expanse. And so, um, you know, and so my dirty secret, as I told them, and they were both cool with it, is like, unlike those two, which even when Star Wars is bad, they're going to try and find good in Star Wars, I unabashedly will get off the Star Wars bandwagon for extended periods of time, because while some of the comics are okay and some of the books are okay, you know, if the if the TV and or movies is not hitting for me, I just have too many other things to, to be into, and, and, and Ritter, I should also mention, my life plan worked great because six months ago it was obvious The Witcher was going to get released the same weekend as Star Wars and I said way back then, I said I want The Witcher to be so good, as good as I think as it's going to be or better, I want The Witcher to be so good that even if I'm not thrilled with the with episode 9, I'm still happy that, you know, over holidays because of how great The Witcher is and that's exactly what happened and so it was hard for me to be upset even for two seconds about the new Star Wars movie because I already knew that there was a property that that I, I was more excited about um, and so forth, but uh, and feel free to critique me and, and this will be great for DC Comics because the, the, th- the nice thing about comic books, Jason is even if the movies aren't doing well you always have the comics to go to in the meantime, right? So when the DCEU was looking really horrible right. and the future of DC Comics was looking horrible, you could always go back into the comics, so do, do you maybe buy my theory here of like, because Star Wars is a vision medium, even if the comics yeah. are decent, you know, if there's no good Star Wars, it's hard for me to be a fan. Dude, you know, they're just filming Cassian and K2. That's 2021. The Obi-Wan's looking like 2022. 
I'm not interested in the Mandalorian. And so literally at the moment, I have nothing to look forward to other than the Clone Wars in a couple months, which is going to be amazing. Other than the one season of the Clone Wars, I have nothing to look forward to with Star Wars on screen until Cassine and K2 in like a year and a half or, or, or two years. But do you agree to talk about DC and we'll, we'll do a hard turn here into DC Comics, but to, to make the bridge, do you agree that the, there is an advantage with comic books? Because if you hate the DC movies that are out, you can at least read the comic. Go ahead. Yeah, because you know when when the when the when I was having trouble with the DC movies, I was reading Batman Detective Comics, and then I was reading a little bit of Batman until it yeah. got horrible. Which update? I'm finally happy because Tom King is finally off of Batman. He wrote his yeah. final issue and is finally out. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, by the <laughs> way, Bizzlecast listeners, uh, um. You're going to be hearing me uh, uh, popping a bunch of cans. I'm not drinking beer at two, at one forty three on a Monday. I'm drinking Schweppes sparkling water. Uh, and uh, you've probably heard me crack a lot of cans on the Bizzlecast. I've never actually talked about this. I do like my beer, but I'm not a day drinker. Um, and we're recording this on the afternoon on a Monday. Uh, so, Jason, just a heads up, if you hear that noise a lot, it's because I'm a little dehydrated, so I'm drinking my, my sparkling water. Nah. Um, but, um, nah, that's, that's okay. Uh, but, um, all right, do you want to do the hard shift into DC? And, and, and yep. you know, I am throwing the, like, I have the Death Star plans, and Darth Vader is about to cut me in half with the lightsaber, and I just threw you the Death Star plans from Rogue One, and you, you escape through the hatch. Launch! <laughs> And then Princess Leia's ship jumps out. So you've got the Death Star plans. So you're in charge, buddy. I just got murdered by Vader, like in Rogue One. So we know. So. I know the rough agenda, but you are going to introduce each topic by name. I want you to then briefly talk about what you're then going to talk about, and then you're going to talk about it, if that makes sense. So what is first on yeah, the DC yeah. agenda? Jason, read it! So last time we met... Um, we wasn't even a last hit. time we met playing. Hit. We're playing. We're playing the overly dramatic piano music from uh, uh, from the CW as we do this. Maybe I'll add that later. Go uh, ahead. Yeah, yeah. Previously on the podcast. Sure. Okay. So last time we met, we were talking about you know that we're excited for Wonder Woman and stuff. And as people know now, in the month there was a Comic Con which had Gal Gadot and. Uh, Patty Jenkins there, and they really, really. The first- there, there's wait, hold on. There's there's a Wonder Woman movie coming. Who, who's this Gal Gadot character? I'm fascinated by this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So <laughs> okay, Bizzle, simmer down. You know, yeah, they released the trailer there in front of wide audience, and then later online. And so we're going to be talking about the first trailer for Wonder Woman eighty four. Uh, so, Bizzle, you want to go first? Well, I'm, I'll go first, but I want to ask you a couple questions first. Did you see it live? I did not. No, I was working. Um, did you try and watch the panel later, or just the trailer? I just watched the trailer. I didn't know if the panel was online or not. I didn't think it was. Um, uh, you want me to go first about the trailer? Yeah, I'll let you go first. Did you, <clears throat> did you listen to the Papa Bizzle Black Widow trailer reaction? Yes, yes, I was listening to that. Okay. Why? So, l- also, wrapping order. 
Okay. Presence. So let me sum up because we talked at the very end, as you know, about Wonder Woman, and for many months now, my, me and my dad have been slightly split because we, you know, two of our favorite characters in cinema are Natasha Romanoff and Diana Prince. And the fact that we're getting them two months apart, you know, next spring and summer, we're very excited about. His feeling is what and has continued to be that he's always been more excited about. Um, uh, about Black Widow because he loves the Dark Knight and Winter Soldier. He likes the spy thriller stuff. And so that's more up his alley. Plus, you know, while we love Gal, we love Gal. Um, in general, the, the Black Widow, you know, Team Cap stuff is more up his alley. Now, he did admit that he was worried before the Black Widow trailer, whereas he always knew Patty Jenkins because it was an unknown director, whereas he always knew or was confident that Patty Jenkins would do a good job with two. Um, but once he saw the Black Widow trailer, and, and he continues to be more excited, but as I brought up in that podcast with him, Ritter, as you know, I said, look, there's a better chance that Black Widow is going to be like a 9 out of 10. It's more assured that that's the case because all the Avengers movies do well critically and, and commercially. Kevin Feige knows what he's doing. Scarlett Johansson movies always do well even when they're split opinion like Ghost in the Shell and Lucy, for especially Lucy, for example. They always do well. It's a character we love and we're still sad about. Died, spoiler alert, in Endgame, so we're going to get more of her you know, as opposed to no more Natasha. And, and and it's just they know what they're doing more at Marvel with this sort of stuff. And so I said there's a better, it, it's more likely, or I should say more assured um, that the Black Widow would do well. But that I thought Wonder Woman had a higher ceiling because they're expanding the characters that are working in DC into like full-on universe multi-movie things. And because Wonder Woman doesn't really touch the her main abilities, you know, get in touch with them until the very end of the Wonder Woman movie against Ares. Um, and then we see some of it in Justice League, but we're still only tapping the the, the potential of uh, of Wonder Woman's powers as we see her, you know, swinging through the air with the lasso and so forth. Um, and and so that was my argument to my dad about why I was actually somewhat more excited about Wonder Woman. Um, I loved the pre-trailer tease of Wonder Woman. But rather, I have to admit, I was rolling my eyes during the Wonder Woman trailer. And not because it's bad, but because there's two things in it that I really don't like. One of them you're going to be explaining, be able to explain away, which is Chris Pine. I love Chris Pine to death. And whether he's in the movie a lot or not, him being back, even if it's through nefarious magical means or whatever, and you'll explain this, it cheapens the death of Steve Trevor. They, I, I, I said this immediately after the original Wonder Woman, guys, in 2017. Check the tape. I said, please don't bring back Chris Pine. It's one thing to bring back Bucky with Cap. That was always part of the plan. To bring back Steve Trevor, even whether it's fake or whatever, really cheapens it for me. But on top of that, Jason, there's no... Chris Pine was all over the trailer, including making jokes. And so there is no possible good scenario here. Because either A, he's in the movie a lot, which I really didn't want, and I'm going to be very upset if he's stealing screen time from Diana. As much as I love Chris Pine, I don't want more Steve Trevor. But the other scenario, Jason, is that he's not in the movie a lot, and they're overplaying him in the trailers because they're not confident enough in Gal Gadot in the movie to, to have her be prominent in the trailers. So either scenario, in terms of what's going to eventually happen in the movie as reflected in the trailers, I'm not happy about. 
I also am so sick, 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 sick to death of the 1980s. I hate 80s music. I hate the 80s. I'm sick of it. Bumblebee, multiple uh, uh, movies, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, sort of the Thor Ragnarok aesthetic. I know Captain Marvel's technically the early 90s, but this like 70s, 80s, 90s retro thing, but especially the 80s with Bumblebee and Guardians of the Galaxy over and over and over again. I am so fucking sick of the fucking 80s. 80s. There were two main problems with the Bumblebee movie, neither of which is Travis Knight, who's now directing Uncharted, and clearly not Haley Steinfeld, who still remains unsigned by all the major uh, uh, comic book uh, uh, companies, which is interesting, but because the script was bad, and I'm just sick to death of the fucking 80s. So, uh, those are the two things I hated, but I hated them a lot, and I'm not sure what I hate more, that Steve Trevor is a big part of this film and or is being played up in the press materials or just the fact that it's in the 80s and I'm sick to death of uh, of the 80s so I, I, now, anything where Wonder Woman was doing action, it looks amazing. In the aesthetic, again, uh, Ritter, we've talked about how even in movies that people don't love, like the Justice League, I think we agree that DC is the X Men too, but DC continues to do special effects with like big monsters and stuff better than than Marvel, and that continues to be the case. So everything with Gal, she's spectacular, you know, in, in, in plain clothes and the Wonder Woman outfit. She's mostly using the lasso, which, as you know, is mostly what she uses in the comic books, no sword and shield, Ares broke the sword, who cares, it's all about her, her superpowers and the lasso, so everything with Gal and the lasso and the fighting looks amazing, I'm just sick to death of the fucking 80s, and I'm a little mad about Chris Pine, so there you go. So, I shall go now. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm literally so, putting myself on mute, so you can just talk, go ahead. Alright, so, I'm gonna break down some of the some of the shots from the trailer, some, not all. Um, one of them is, you see a shot of her in this armor with wings. That is the armor, her armor straight out of the Kingdom Come comic book, which I had to look, you look at my comic and see, I'm like, yep, that's it. It's right there. And then, um, so I'm going to, now I'm going to talk about my theory about, uh, Chris Pine. Well, first of all, first of all, sorry. Overall f- impressions of the trailer, and then going the Chris Pine thing. Okay, I love the trailer. I'm sorry, Bizzle. I love the. Trailer. No, I'm glad you did. You look, like, l- let me just do a quick comparison. I don't like the Mandalorian at all. I'm thrilled most people do because I want more good Star Wars, and so Star Wars needs to succeed. That's that's a much different level than a trailer. I'm glad you like the trailer. My feeling was most people are going to love this trailer. Is your feeling that most people love the trailer? Because that was my feeling. Yeah, I, I, I see a lot of chatter online. They, they were pumped and excited after seeing the trailer. After the trailer, I wanted it released like tomorrow. Oh, so. I, that's the thing. Is I love the Black Widow trailer. And I'm starting to be with my dad, just to being more confident that Black Widow will be great. I think Wonder Woman could be good or great, whereas I know Black Widow is going to be very good to great. Um, nevertheless, the common uh, opinion seems to be split about whether the Black Widow trailer was any good, whereas everyone seems interested in Diana. And as I've been saying, I, I think Wonder Woman is going to blow up the world. And in a reversal, dude, of the Avengers in 2012, where the Avengers beat down the Dark Knight Rises, which nobody saw coming ahead of time, I think Wonder Woman 2, if it lives up to the billing, is actually going to beat 
uh, Black Widow. Now, while I'm very confident Black Widow will make 800 to a billion dollars as the Avengers tentpole movie in May, based on the fact that, you know, Wonder Woman performed so well, uh, uh, uh in, compared to what they expected initially, and this is the second one now that everyone loves Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman, I think we're gonna see a reversal where Widow makes like a billion, um, and sort of the Dark Knight rises, and then the Avengers, in terms of the money, is Wonder Woman. And so I'm on board with this. I think the movie's gonna do really well. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love the trailer, you know, and we got introduced to a bunch of stuff like, um, Kristen Wiig's uh, Cheeto a little bit. Okay, love, love, love. I have to say, the one unconditional thing I was prepared to love and I loved and I wish we had more of is Dr. Minerva, a.k.a. Cheetah, a.k.a. Kristen Wiig. She's so brilliant. Uh, you know, Jason, you know this. Gal, Gal's performance on SNL after the first movie or before the first movie was released is, like, legendary, but she got really tight with a bunch of the comedians on SNL. They love her, think she's hilarious. And so Kristen Wiig is already a friend, and you could tell in two seconds of Kristen Wiig and Gal Gadot talking to each other that, you know, they're going to have great chemistry, whichever way they decide to go with, with Minerva. I don't want to spoil that for the audience. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, if if anyone knows the comics, you know, I think we only got a, a, a tease of Minerva. We haven't, we don't have the, what's really going to happen to her in the trailers, which is what a trailer should do. So, yeah. And of course I mean, we got. Sorry, she's going to become Cheetah at some point. The question is, yeah. is, is she just going to be? If if I were them, because they're setting up Pedro Pascal. Speaking of the Mandalorian, which you're going to talk about. Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to. That was good. I was going to talk about Mendo as uh, Maxwell Ward here in the trailer, and this is going to be tied to my Steve Trevor theory, because you right. know in the movie he's like, "What do you want? What do you desire?" and he will give what they desire. And obviously in the trailer, Diana really misses Steve so much that she names a ranch after Steve. So, and I think, like, if you ever seen the show, the animated show Justice League, where uh, Felix Faust was in Paradise Island, I think it's kind of similar to this, where I think maybe Pedro Pascal has made a deal with uh, the god Hades. Or Hades is teamed up with uh, Pedro Pascal's Maxwell Ward. And that's how they were able to bring Steve Trevor back. Has to do with the gods, I think. So, Don't take this the wrong way, because this isn't a shot at you. I don't care how the fuck they brought Steve Trevor back. It cheapens the sacrifice, and now the first movie is immediately less affecting. It has ruined the first movie for me, because Steve Trevor dying in The Great Sacrifice is what triggers Diana's abilities. Now, I know what they're going to do is mirror it, where he actually makes her weak in this one, on purpose or not. I get it. But you have to admit, man, it cheapens it. Now, Natasha, hold on, hold on. With Black Widow, because it's specifically a prequel and they're not bringing her back to life, uh, you know, it's not cheapening it. But but to make the comparison, the death of Zoe Saldana's Gamora in Avengers Infinity War, 
even though it was Thanos, was so sad and dramatic, and then all of a sudden Gamora's back, it cheapens that, the time travel cheapens it, and, and look, I get that comic books kill and bring back people, good and bad, all the time, but it's something I hate about it, and something, again, the bringing Palpatine back to life in Star Wars, act, that I thought would maybe be cool, but it was way too much and way over the top, I'm sick of bringing back characters to life, it, it, the stakes are already low in comic book movies, because they never kill people, at least in Star Wars, they at least temporarily kill people, but when they do die and make a sacrifice, and then they bring them back, it's like, if they bring, you know, Chris Evans back in the present, you know, and somehow retcon and make him Captain America again or whatever, that would cheapen everything. I'm sick of it, I'm mad, and I'm now already biased against Wonder Woman, even though I love Chris Pine to death, I'm already biased because it's ruined the first movie for me before the second one came out. Yeah. But I think what's going to happen is she's going to have to probably give up Steve maybe in the movie so she could take down maybe Cheetah and Maxwell Ward. So they can bring Chris Pine back in each movie and she has to sacrifice, quote-unquote, each time is bullshit. Yes, yes, I Sorry, man, I'm not letting him get away with it. I'm not, you know? And the 80s thing is just a personal thing. People still love the 80s. The hipsters were the ones who rebooted the 80s thing when I was in college in the early 2000s is when the 80s became cool again with the hipsters and hipster music, pulling from 80s music, etc. Now, everyone loves the 80s. I don't know why. The fashion's terrible. The world was going to shit as much as now. The the music was bad and, and all that. So the 80s thing is just a me problem, but this Steve Trevor thing, I think, is really an issue, and is you know, and is just one of the many reasons that, that Alistair, which we'll get to in a little bit, you know, predicted that DC on film ignore the money of recent films is somewhat doomed. Is that they're running out of ideas? I think Marvel's running out of ideas too, which is why they, their first two movies in Phase Four are Spider Man and Black Widow, which are characters we've already seen a ton of. Sh- shows that maybe they're running out of movies. Uh, uh, movie ideas and so forth. This seems like a huge cop-out. The only thing I will say is that the chemistry between Gal Gadot and Chris Pine is, like, legendary. Like, it's, like, the best romance ever. And so I I am fully prepared, Jason, to walk into that theater and loving Chris Pine immediately again. And and I'll have to... And I promise you, I will come onto this podcast with a full mea culpa. I'm already predicting it, but I'll do it. I will come on this podcast with you and say, I was wrong. I was prepared to be wrong, but I was wrong. I love Steve Trevor, and I don't care about the mechanics. I'm just glad to have Chris Pine. So I'm ready to be wrong about Chris Pine. Go ahead. Yeah, at least, you know, know, they got to... You know, maybe if the movie gives me a good explanation, maybe maybe it'll win over you and some of our audience members why Steve is back. Unlike certain movies where they gave a explanation that made no sense recently about why a character came back. Really? <laughs> what movie would that be? Cough, cough. Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> cough, cough. Uh, or the recasting of a certain character over and over again. Cough, cough. The Joker. Yeah, yeah. So, you okay, know. So you love yeah, you love yeah. the trailer. You're way more positive about it. What are a couple yeah. things that specifically or, or big picture you liked about the trailer, and then we'll move on because that's all we know about right now. You know, I love you know just trying just going back into the world of Wonder Woman made me very excited because you know I really liked that the world that set up in that first movie and stuff. So going back into her with her. 
you know, with her car- cast of friends or characters, whoever's in the movie and stuff. And, you know, they, they, they're still making the continuity of why she's never been noticed since, you know, BBS is because she takes out all the security cameras of her TR. So, I mean, that makes sense, I guess. I mean, look, Gal Gadot is so magnetic, and there's nothing to do with just her being beautiful. Her charisma is so insane that if it's a well-made movie, dude, which I know it will be because Patty Jenkins is clearly brilliant and has full handle and control of the material, there's no, you know, I'm way more confident than my, than my dad on this than loving Wonder Woman too. And so I feel more comfortable ripping the trailer because it's not even the final trailer, and I think they're probably still working out how to sell this thing. Ritter I want to cast you back to pre-Wonder Woman 1 in 2017 where the Bizzle was extremely excited but not until the last few months so I saw Gal Gadot and Batman v Superman and then me and Maddie G did a three and a half hour podcast the next day about why it was so fucking bad and the disaster that was DC but we agreed with 20 minutes of screen time that Gal Gadot was magnetic and if and I said at the time if they can get Gal Gadot good material, but a great director, Wonder Woman 1 is going to slay. They got Patty Jenkins, and it slayed. I mean, I guess they had Patty Jenkins, but we weren't really aware of it. They were already filming it in 2016. So in 2017, I was pumped for Wonder Woman, but it wasn't until the trailer that came out like a month beforehand with, with the remixed Imagine Dragons uh, Warrior track. Oh, yeah, 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 that was the trailer. That was the... Chewy, we're home trailer from Forest Awakens. Like, that was the trailer that got asses in the seat because we saw Young Diana, we saw Themyscira, we saw an extended version of No Man's Land, we saw how great Chris Pine was going to be, we saw how beautiful it was shot, and even though it gave away a lot of the movie, they framed it in such a way that it wasn't spoilery kind of at the time. The other trailer I always talk about is the final Rogue One trailer, whereas people were nervous about Rogue One being too dark and not accessible enough in the final trailer when we had Jen Erso talking about rebellions are built on hope and Saw Guerrero talking about save the rebellion, save the dream. All of a sudden, everyone's on board and excited about Rogue One. Wonder Woman did that in an even more extreme level. They released three Wonder Woman trailers, but before that final trailer, Rise of the Warrior, I don't think they're going to need four trailers this time, but I do want to see a little bit more of an epic and expansive final trailer from Wonder Woman. And because I love Gal and Wonder Woman so much, and I know I'm going to enjoy the movie. I feel a bit more empowered, uh, or just comfortable with rip- with ripping the trailer a bit because I have such high hopes and expectations. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's still probably you know probably doing still effects and stuff shots for the movie yet too. So maybe. Are you hearing anything else coming out of that camp, or is this a um, one of those uh, like I, you just have an amazing director and they know exactly what they're doing, and so it seems to be proceeding smoothly. Whole- there's not a whole lot coming out of that camp other than some interviews Patty Jenkins talked about the future of Wonder Woman, which I'm going to so talk about I don't, now. I don't know what to make of Pedro Pascal, man, because he was very good on Game of Thrones, but I rip Game of Thrones all the time for having bad material, and that was one of my Witcher predictions, was ultimately people are going to love The Witcher more because the material from the books and just the world is much better and more interesting, in my opinion, uh, certainly the writing of the books. It's not even close. George Martin, sorry guys. If you read Game of Thrones books, they're not very good. Then the Witcher books are spectacular. Um, but that being said, man, he's behind the Mando mask 
so I can't judge him a Mandalorian either. I know he's very good looking, and while he's a Colombian American, he can speak or does speak with an American accent. I'm not. I don't want to cast shade on Pedro Pascal, but between shitty Game of Thrones and what and me disliking Mandalorian mixed with him not really being able to act in Mandalorian, should we have any concerns about Pedro Pascal? Not that he's bad, but that maybe he's overhyped at this point. And, and like, for, let me put it this way. If Pedro Pascal has way more screen time than Kristen Wiig, who America loves, let us be clear, like Anna Kendrick and Haley Steinfeld, America loves fucking Kristen Wiig, right? There's no two ways about it. Bridesmaids are a lot of people, like one of their favorite comedy movies of all time. People love, 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 love Kristen Wiig. Maybe it's not like Tina Fey or Amy Poehler, but just that's just because she's weird and does different stuff. But she's part of that cast with, you know, Sam Berg and Bill Hader. That whole cast is loved, and people love Kristen Wiig. So if Pedro Pascal has five to ten times the screen time of 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 Kristen Wiig, that's a, that's a concern of mine. What do you think about Pascal? Well, he's playing basically um, the the a villain from the Justice League comics called Max Bell Ward, who's basically a very cheesy cheesy '80s like businessman villain. So hmm. I don't think you're going to get a lot. Of, like, there's no way you're going to see him like fight Wonder Woman in the film at all because I think Christian Wake's going to have probably more screen time than him. He's probably going to be on like TV commercials or in like a boardroom just talking stuff. Probably that's about. Yeah, so that, that's what I think is going to happen from him. So, but. my theory, dude, has been part of the reason they're setting it in the midst of the end, or, but still tense part of the Cold War in 1984 is... Uh, on the surface, Diane is going to be fighting like the commies, or at least she's going to be fighting the shit that's going on in the third world during the Cold War, because that's what Diana would do, is not necessarily take sides between the Americans and the Russians, but all the people from Afghanistan to the Congo who suffered in the Cold War, you know, she spends a lot of time in what we call the third world, or non-Western countries, in the comics, and that's part of Cheetah's character, is the Africa connection, and everyone's in love with Africa now because of Black Panther, it would make tons of sense that she would go to Africa, I don't know if she's going to, but I hope she does, and it would make sense, because in the comics, she's when she's chasing down Cheetah and trying to, you know, I mean, let's be honest, dude. Wonder Woman is like Ray in the sense of they're always trying to redeem people, even if they're irredeemable. And so, and part of the movie is going to be her trying to redeem Cheetah, I think. But also, I think the early part of her movie is going to be, you know, that part towards the end of the extended No Man's Land scene before she destroys the tower, where it's the yeah. one time where she gets really pissed. And she picks up a tank and just flips it while she screams with rage. Um, and I think we're going to see Diana flipping a bunch of tanks is where I'm, I'm going with this. Taking down entire yeah. militaries who are doing the wrong thing by herself. I agree with your assessment of Pascal. I also agree that it's unknown how far they're going to go in this first movie. I would love to see Minerva go full cheetah in this. Uh, knowing Kristen Wiig, she would rather be really great. Uh, great and central in one movie as opposed to signing for multiple movies but the character of Minerva does come in and out and so I could see either way with Minerva uh, do you agree though early on there's going to be a different stuff going on with Diana uh, that's cool but it, it's going to change I think and part B of this question is then who's going to be the big baddie like Ares that she fights I think um, like you know, my prediction kind of leads to who I think the big bad she's going to fight is. Here we go. Go ahead. 
like I said, you know, I talked about how Pedro Pascal says, you know, I can bring anything, anyone, thing you desire. I can give you anything you want. And I think that Hades, obviously, I talked about this earlier. Hades going to bring back picks Chris Pine, and she has to give him up. And I think she's going to end up fighting Hades for the big battle. Is, is so that it, would be? Is it possible the way David Thulis turns into uh, Ares that Chris Pine being fake Chris Pine turns into Hades? Yeah, I also heard predictions where people think that Pedro Pascal's yeah. character is actually Hades and he turns into Hades at the end. I think it's going to be Chris Pine because the one way to save the movie in terms of what I complained about with Chris Pine is first of all what everyone's been saying who's in the know, which is you know Chris Pine is going to be brought back as a tool of deception and manipulation by Pedro Pascal's character, right, to fool and distract Diana. But if Diana has to kill... Steve Trevor, even if it's just Steve Trevor uh, looking like Steve Trevor, but is actually Hades. Let's put it this way. If she has to physically fight and kill Chris Pine, real or not, would be the one thing that would end up not cheapening Steve Trevor's death in the first one. Because while she's, uh, you know... (laughs) Well, she maybe could have stopped Steve Trevor's death by being a little smarter in the first one. She's clearly not responsible for his death. He willingly makes the sacrifice to get rid of the chemical weapons at the cost of his life, but he also does it. Let's be honest, dude. Let's be honest. Is that Chris Pine is Steve Trevor, even though he's only known Diana for a few weeks or a few months or whatever in that movie, he knows that she hasn't reached her full potential. And so not only is he saving the, you know, the, the, that country by getting rid of the chemical weapons, but he's also forcing her to, you know, to, to, you know, to take the next level in terms of her powers. And so if that theme is continued and he ends up being the big bad guy, just disguised as Steve Trevor, that would be an acceptable solution to me, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense to me too. So, okay, yeah. So, let's keep I moving. Guess all in all, I'm excited for Wonder Woman eighty four, and can't wait to see what other stuff they're going to uh, come out with with the stuff in twenty twenty. So, we neither of us want to talk about this, so let me just do two sentences, we'll move on. Birds of Prey is coming, it's going to be dark, it's going to be R, it's going to be Harley, because of all those things, and how well the Joker did, and people still like Suicide Squad for some reason. It's going to make money, Jason. Birds of Prey is going to make money. The posters and the trailers continue to look awful. People in the know who are DC fans who work for the media that I know are very split. Alistair has been saying from the beginning that it looks like a dumpster fire, but that's just from his perspective. It's going to make a lot of money. I think, Jason, our best case scenario at this point is it does well financially, but really bad critically, because it's going to do decently, at least, if not very well financially. And, you know, again, hearing through sources, it seems like Cassandra Cain is not, whether or not Batgirl is on the horizon, Barbara Gordon. It doesn't seem like Cassandra Cain's going to deviate. You have to admit, though, they finally released a shot of Cassandra Cain, and like I've been saying the whole time, she looks like a chubby 13 Asian girl, right? I mean, she doesn't even look like someone who could possibly be a superhero. She's tiny, she's got baby fat, she's adorable, but what is this adorable 13-year-old chubby, short, little Asian girl with no acting experience doing in a rated R Birds of Prey movie? Yeah, and I've been hearing from uh, from some people online that they're threatening us with another trailer soon. So, 
And by you the know, way, guys, I'm the reason I keep bringing up that she's Asian is nothing to do with not wanting Asians. Jason, you know well my love of from, between Chloe Bennett and Jessica Henwick to Lodi Young and so forth. I love you know I love Kelly Marie Tran. I'm a huge Rose supporter and was upset what they did with Rose and Rise of Skywalker. I'm a huge I, look, dude. Look, let me be honest. Daisy Ridley was great as Ray, and Finn when he got to be a, got to do stuff. Boyega was great as Finn, but in terms of the char- uh, main characters not named Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac, who have Oscar Isaac's been nominated before. Adam Driver is almost for sure going to get nominated for other movies this year, so they're veterans. In terms of the new young actors, I think Kelly Marie Tran has the highest ceiling by far. Has already done numerous independent movies since Last Jedi, and is a great actress. Point is, I'm not bringing up Cassandra Cain's. Eight- Asian-ness, uh, per se, because she's Asian, but to bring up the fact that on top of having no experience, she's had no experience and is from another country, on top of everything else. Uh, and, and so the whole thing, but it doesn't really matter. If she was a chubby 13-year-old white girl with no acting experience, I, I would have even less confidence in, in this situation. They must see something in this girl. And my problem, again, Jason, is I hope the something that they see is not making her back girl in four years. Yeah. Well, all I'm going to say is First of Prey it is still a movie that somehow is coming out, so... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To quote one of my contributors, whenever we see a bad movie, Birds of Prey is going to definitely be a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's a movie. It's coming out. Like we can, um, One thing you and I can agree on with everybody else is for sure Birds of Prey is a movie. Although yeah. maybe it'll be so bad that it's like The Room and can't even be considered a movie. That would be hilarious. Yeah. And I'll probably take the bullet for this one. I'll probably just see this one and tell you my thoughts and feelings about it. Lord. Um, yeah. All right, dude. So uh, anything you want to bring up about uh, 2021? Uh, um, I think it's been so long since we did, were uh, on the podcast together. I, the last time we chatted mid-October uh, officially, I don't think Andy Circus was official yet. Um, no, no, no. We, but we were, but we. If you listen back to the tapes, we were you talking were. about how you cool would it, it be if Andy Andy Circus was uh, Alfred, because we were trying to figure out what role he would play in Matt Reeves's Batman, and yeah, we weren't sure because he was directing Venom too. Yeah, yeah as, look, Jason's a really nice guy, but whenever he says we made the prediction, anything having to do we see, it's Ritter. You were the one that made the circus thing. I ruled out circus because of the Venom project, but it's any circus. He can do literally anything, anytime, and, and so he's really a kind of acting superhero. I think it's a great choice because you need a slightly younger Alfred, but you want... Look, he's not going to be crazy like Ulysses Claw, but you want him to be a little edgier than we've seen with Michael Caine, right? Yeah, you, I think you would want him towards, like, the Earth One Alfred from the Batman comics where he's, like, you know, help, you know, like, helping him, like, train, you know, like, former MI6 type Alfred, so. Yep, you know my dad loves the Dark Knight, and he loves Pennyworth, so. Yeah, Pennyworth, which, you know, which is coming back next year for a season two, so. Yeah. Until my dad likes Andy Serkis and knows he's a legend. He's not a deep-dive nerd like you and me. But he was thrilled that they prioritize cool, awesome 
casting for Alfred, who's become his ba- he's basically his favorite character in, in all of this, because, you know, my dad's an older guy, but also he loves sp- anything from World War II until the end of the Cold War with special ops and, and you know, black ops stuff and, and Secret Service stuff. He is totally, totally into. He also happens to think the actor playing Pennyworth is, like, one of the best actors out there and should be getting awards thrown on him. Um, and uh, But he's also open to having, you know, a different Alfred that's still cool in, in Dark Knight. So my dad being a barometer for all things nerdy and how that'll play out in the mainstream, I can't imagine anyone that likes any kind of genre movie is upset about having Andy Serkis as Alfred, right? I mean, it's it's it, yeah. maybe it's not everyone's first pick, but other than getting Zendaya as Batgirl, I'm not, you know, this is one of those no-brainer picks. Yep, and then, yep, yep, so... Yep, and um, I'm very excited for Circus's Pennyworth also. But then we also got a out of left field casting. Uh-oh. Because I think it was a few months after we had uh, John Turturro was cast as Carmine Falcone in The Batman. Uh, so. I, in fact, I haven't told my dad this because Jesus from The Lebowski is maybe our favorite character in all of cinema. <laughs> Dios mio, yeah. man. Before yep, we're going to fuck said. you on Saturday, now we're going to fuck you on Wednesday. You got a date Wednesday, baby! Woo! Sorry. Yep. Eight-year-olds. Eight-year-olds, dude. Uh, Eight-year-olds. Uh, Eight-year-olds. He, yep. So he's uh, he's coming. He's playing Carmen Falcone. And, and also next year he's coming out with his directorial movie where he plays... Jesus from the Big Lebowski again. Wait, are you saying that we were also right in Detective Batman from the beginning and that people like Falcone would be in this? Wow, what a shocker. Yeah, so, so, and I, was I right of saying that it's going to be based on Long Halloween when they're introducing a character, a big character from Long Halloween? No, that's possible, movie? Jason Ritter. That would be too much uh, per- perfection in prediction. Yeah, it would be. So. That's yeah, awesome. so we we got him in there, and we also have Peter Skarsgård apparently. And in we this are movie, all but, fans uh, of the Skarsgård, Stellan, obviously from Avengers stuff, but we love Floki. May he rest in peace on Vikings. Love, 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 love Gustav Skarsgård as Floki and Vikings. We're, and my dad also loves Alexander, who's in a lot of cool properties. So, yeah, so he's. We don't know who he's playing because. Um, Matt Reeves just put up Peter. That's all he put up. And there's no character in Batman lore named Peter. So, Have there been we'll have any to, major or minor casting choices that you're not thrilled about since the last time we talked? No, not really. Yep. I mean, there's the one rumor one where we still think that may happen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, Andy Circuit. I mean, obviously, not Andy Circuit. sorry. Colin Farrell is up for the role of the Penguin. Well, so, and again, it, I would make him son of Penguin. He's too young and good looking to put him in the Penguin thing. Would be dumb. He should well, be the strapping would, young uh, Cobblepot, and then have an older Cobblepot. Well, we kind of did. They kind of did do the younger Penguin in the, in the show that you tell me no one watches Gotham. So okay, so nothing in Gotham is going to affect what they do in the movie at all. I know, they don't I give know, a I'm fuck just, about just, that. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to make a point. I know, all. but in terms of selling a movie, when you know men t- like Colin Farrell as an actor and women, you know, he's a hottie. 
to to have him be you know Danny DeVito or the son of Danny DeVito <laughs> type penguin who's the you know but again you know or, or, I would say hold on hold on I would be fine saving the son of penguin story because it's so it's it's best realized in his relation his on and off hot relationship with Barbara Gordon um where she knows who he is and he doesn't know who she is at least at first and so, if there's still a chance for Barbara Gordon, then sure, introduce Father uh, Pop a Cobblepot in this, and then save uh, uh, Sunny Boy Cobblepot to have a crazy re- uh, relationship back and forth with Batgirl. Or, or they could do the, you know, Telltale Game version of Penguin for Cobblepot. So, okay. Um. And Telltale's back, by the way. After a dramatic death of Telltale, now all of a sudden they're back. Yeah, I remember that death. Death was like a zombie that came <laughs> it came back from the grave like uh, Palpatine in the new Star Wars movie. Well, part of it is because even after they died, especially because they died and people love Telltale, let's put it this way, people buy Telltale over a period of time. It's not one of those like pre-order day of like everyone's paying $60 ahead of time for Call of Duty and then Call of Duty makes $200 million immediately because of all the pre-orders. That doesn't really happen. That's not how I stumbled across the original Batman on Telltale and that's not how I stumbled across the part two of Batman on Telltale. And so I think what happened was because they died but because they sell stuff over time they started making money and they're like well now we have enough money to come back together and do something. So good on them. It would be great to get a third and, and final Batman uh, Telltale. So dude you might have heard of a little movie with Emma Watson and Chersey Ronan called Little Women that just came out which is getting acclaimed. Shocker! A movie with Emma Watson and Chersey Ronan as the leads being acclaimed. Who saw that coming with the... With the I mean, dude, do you remember Little Women in the 90s? It had Kirsten Dunst, Claire Danes. I mean, it had, like, all of the It girls from the early mid-90s were in Little Women in the 90s. Now all the younger It girls, you know, who are great actresses, are in Little Women. But you know who the ma- the male lead, dude, in 1994... Do you want to guess who the male lead, the one uh, young male in 1994 was? This is going to blow your mind on numerous levels. That would be Christian Bale, my friend, a.k.a. Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman. You know who the lead is, male lead, in this version of Little Women? That would be Timothy Chalamet, my friend, your pick for Robin. So we could get Christian Bale in Little Women 1 being Batman, and then Timothy Chalamet, Little Women uh, Redux, being Robin, and, dude, we are getting closer and closer to Dune. If I can have you regularly on the podcast next year, one of the non-DC topics we're going to have to talk about is Dune. And if you haven't read it, people out there in general, but you in particular, dude, you have to read just the first Dune book. It's one of the greatest works of literature of all time. Um, but on top of that, you know, we've been fan casting Chalamet and his co-lead in that Zendaya um, for a while now. So just for fun, of the two Dune co-leads, who's more likely to end up in the DC universe at this point? Um, I'm thinking Chalamet. I agree, only because he's still up and coming, even though he's in a lot of stuff. Zendaya has 100 million Instagram followers, like no joke, because she's got a music career. She's so busy. As I told you, you know, for Zendaya, because she's doing something big like Dune, and then you combine that with the modeling and music, 
whereas Chalamet is just acting and getting his cha- you know getting his feet under him. Now I will say though, if they do bring in Chalamet to be Robin in, in this movie or future one, you're going to have to make it a somewhat more empowered Robin. He can't be like the just the this little brother getting noogies from Bruce Wayne. No, he's he's going to have to be you know. I was thinking like you know, kind of having like I'm gonna have to put a little bit of. Tim Drake in here made me make him more of a detective, like, mm-hmm. you know, in this one, too, so. Alright, pal. Um, so, I really do want to get to favorite DC and other media in 2019, and then a couple predictions. So, a couple quick hits I have for you um, have to do with uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth on CW, which I don't want to spend too much time on, because I very very publicly on my podcast over the last three years went from not caring about CW to really liking Arrow in particular to hating Arrow to just watching the crisis, uh, watching the crossovers, and now I'm pretty apathetic about everything about CW, even though whether it's Melissa Benoist or Ruby Rose or even Stephen Amell, I like the leads, I just think the shows are so cheesy. As you know, I called Titans the rated R CW, and that's part of why I think Teen Titans is trash, is they're trying to make it seem adult with language and violence, but it's shot in the same exact corny, predictable style as the CW. Most of the DC shows are, um, but you can talk briefly about Crisis if you want. Um, and I do want to hear about Harley Quinn cartoon because while I knock Harley, it's very complicated. I knock Harley. I love Margot Robbie. I just don't like Harley or Margot Robbie's Harley. I don't really like the character in general, but I've been hearing ahead of time that Harley Quinn cartoon was going to be great. It does have an amazing cast. So I, 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 I guess what I'm saying is from a personal standpoint, and then we'll get into favorites 2019 prediction 2020. I mostly am interested in, in Harley Quinn cartoon and whatever else is going on on the DC Universe uh, service, but let's do a quick run-through of some of those points and whatever else you got. So go ahead. All right. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about Crisis because I had to watch some stuff beforehand just mm-hmm. to understand what is going on. Right. I mean, I watched some of the flashes to see what's going on with the show and the uh, the – the uh, Arrow show this year, which was... <laughs> Sorry, we have the same reaction whenever we mention Arrow and Flash, which is just... <sighs> well, it was more Arrow this year than Flash. Flash actually did good because they actually got a new showrunner, so... So wait, do any of the characters yes, so. do anything other than Grant Gustin? <laughs> well, Grant... Yeah, it's basically become... The air characters do do something this year, and there's a lot more Iris than I remember when I first uh, watched the show. So, well, it's hard to remember any yeah, Iris because other than her working at a cafe and then literally doing nothing, she hasn't done much. So, any Iris is statistically, mathematically, logically, any Iris is more Iris. Yeah. Well, this season she has a blog. That writes reports. So. Uh oh, uh oh. They're they're giving they're giving the Flash's girlfriend a blog. Watch out, empowering women on the CW. <laughs> I can't joke about that though because three of their five shows have female leads. So let's be honest. Yeah. Yep. So and now they have the like uh, they have a new Wells which plays in the crisis um, called That's, Nash Wells, which is basically it's a still Kavanaugh though, right? Yeah, okay, good. but it's like an Indiana Jones ripoff because 
his whole goal this season is to prove that the monitor is a false god. So that's the main difference yeah. between Arrow and Flash is that Flash can be kind of bad, but if you have great Kavanaugh, it, it saves it enough. Whereas if you have bad writing for the lead Stephen Amell in the Arrow, and how bad Team Arrow's gotten, the whole thing falls apart. Kavanaugh can kind of save the situation at times for me. I mean, he's the best single actor, right, across all the series who's been in all the seasons, I think is safe to say. Yeah, and then, yeah, so what happens is in the last episode of The Flash before the crossover, he finds his tomb with all the six or eight paragons, and he releases the anti-monitor, and and because of that he becomes the big character from the... Um, Crisis Comics Pariah. So, and then we start with the first episode of the crossover. There, so okay. So the first one was Supergirl. You know, I love Benoist, and you know that I think that if they just let them shoot Supergirl differently, the writing is is plenty good, and the characters and actors are great. Supergirl is the one that, it, when I will watch CW, it's definitely Supergirl. I like the cast the most. I love her the most as the lead. But again, because of the CW shittiness, but not just shittiness, but the fact that they shoot and with the music exactly the same with every single show, and the structure of all the shows are exactly the same week to week. So now there's five CW shows with 25 episodes each per year. So you have 125 episodes per year of CW that are all shot exactly the same, but... Because of the giant team-up stuff with Crisis, that's why I end up liking Crisis. Not just because it's the big team-up, that is a huge part of it, uh, because it forces them to shoot the show somewhat differently. But even in Crisis, man, this is my only thought, because I only got through the Supergirl episode, there's still that period in the middle where you have two characters complaining about their love life in the middle of the end of the world. I'm like, God damn it! I don't care about your fucking love life! Save the fucking world, superheroes! <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So well, go on about guess, Crisis because I just gave you my exact watching and opinion of it. Love you, Melissa. Yeah. Well, I, what I liked is how that we started with like, you know, the monitor explain the multiverse, and we get to see all the different Earths and beginning where we got the eighty-nine Batman and the and for Bizzle they they destroyed the Titans universe. And and then we got uh, the sixty six universe and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, by the way, briefly, a little gossip. First of all, can we talk about how no one's talking about that? The Kara and Monel are act together in real life, which is adorable. Uh, Did you Kevin know that? Smith Did about you know that, that a lot? Yeah, Kevin Smith said a lot on his podcast. And he, Kevin Smith's a CW homer, and of course he was on the broadcast of the CW. Um, you know, and he was written for for for. Look, I I can't imagine he loves all the cheesy nonsense of the CW, but he does love DC Comics. It's clear him and Jeff Johns will ever have a relationship. He's a DC guy. He's a Batman guy. Fat man on Batman, right? That's his thing. He does love Star Wars, but he's hard, very hard on Star Wars. He's and, and let's be honest, dude. Kevin Smith is completely biased and unobjective when it comes to DC because he writes DC Comics. Nevertheless, he's a great guy to have on board, and you know he always makes me laugh. But there's such a cute couple on this show, 
Normally, it's it's a disaster when co-stars end up together in real life, and like with various Brad Pitt, you know, stuff and so forth, or or I should say Ben Affleck. You know, he always briefly gets together with people like J Lo and then Jennifer Gardner or whatever. He always gets with people that he's with in, uh, in the movies in real life. It never ends up working. But it is Supergirl and those two who are so down to earth? They're absolutely adorable together. So I want to just comment on that. Um, but I also want to give Melissa uh, nice props about, you know, a lot of actors have come forward about um, issues with mental illness and anxiety. As someone who suffers from anxiety, uh, Melissa's been very open and more and more so the last couple of years. Um, let's be honest about women's issues and gay rights and so forth. Both the show and Melissa herself have been very open. She loves Ruby Rose and how politically liberal the show is. God bless her. But she's also been open about her personal struggles. Uh, she seems so perfect, right? He, you know, she's always smiling. She seems perfect. She's a great actress. Her whole life seems perfect, and she's been very open about you know. A lot of times, it seems like our lives are perfect, and they're not. So, as someone who has you know experienced similar things, but certainly knows people. Uh, who have who have experienced severe versions of what she talks about? I just want to give her props as a spokeswoman for uh, uh, you know. I guess she's sort of a little bit more of a millennial than me. She's probably around her age. Um, but the bottom line is, she still speaks for like our extended generation um, with, with issues that a lot of people you know who are on network television might not talk about. So again, Melissa Benoist. Bravo. Dude, I've heard nothing about Ruby Rose and Batwoman. I loved her intro, which she demasks herself. You know she's Jewish, you know, in the, the comics in real life, which is great. When my dad found out about that, because we love Ruby Rose, I don't know how my dad ended up watching Batwoman. So she's a Jewish lesbian who is very violent. So I'm already predisposed to like the Batwoman character, and I like Ruby Rose. I believe Batwoman was the second of the crisis. Yes, yes. Batwoman is second at the crisis. So how was that? And then uh, talk to me about Batwoman in general, because I haven't really talked yeah, to anyone well, about it. Well, you know, we ended the first crisis where uh, Bows lost and they get rid of everybody except for Oliver, where he has an arrow that hurts um, the monitor and he leaves. And then he drops his bow, supposedly maybe fighting um, shadow demons with his bare fist, I guess. If he drops his bow, which I think he's still trying to figure that one out, but and then he comes back, and then we have the death of Oliver Queen. Quote where, unquote. Is this the Oliver who who's who's grizzled and he sees um he sees Katie Lots and he's confused because he still thinks she's dead. No, and this is not that one. That one was on a different Earth, which they kind of played into the. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow, where apparently the ship can travel throughout the multiverse now. I'm like, okay. So, yeah, so that was a different Oliver, which she got closer with Oliver, and then this Oliver died now and stuff, so. Yep. So now we are in the part two, the Batwoman episode, where we find out Spoilers, which I've been catching up on, Supergirl. Lex Luthor is alive. So, and we are trying to. This I had heard. Uh, Sorry, I had heard, and I, look, I've tuned out even Star Wars nerds. I hate super fans. Even 
What's interesting is the Witcher super fans have mostly been happy with The Witcher because it's so fucking loyal. I mean, The Witcher show is more loyal to The Witcher books than the Lord of the Rings to the Lord of the Rings book by a factor of like a thousand. And so there hasn't been too many complaints about a character here or a line there uh, from The Witcher fans. But super fans, dude, I've totally tuned out. When it comes to a property, I don't really care about like the CW or, or DC stuff. You know, I'm not paying attention to it in the first place. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, this will co- maybe come up with, with, with Batwoman as well, but I'm sure there's plenty of, oh, this guy's better than Jesse Eisenberg. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. There are a lot of people that really like this Lex Luthor. So yes, we're, and I will point but out, is he good? Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Your assessment. Um, is he good just on his own or is he good mostly just because anyone would be better than the portrayal again not just the Eisenberg's fault in my opinion but the portrayal of Lex Luthor widely hated or just confusing of Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor like is this a well anybody but Jesse Eisenberg would be better or this guy in a, even in a vacuum is good well it's just that you know even if there's no Jesse Eisenberg this guy is still very good at Lex Luthor so yeah mm. because you know, for my money, my favorite Lex Luthor is uh, the guy who played him on Smallville, which, you know, this this is pretty neck and neck with that one right now. So, yeah, so he he uh, he's on the ship and then they find out that he steals the Book of Destiny to try to go throughout the multiverse and kill Superman. So oh, Destiny. Star Wars is all about destiny. The Witcher is all about destiny. Dune, as you'll see, is all about destiny. Um, but yeah. side note, you have not read Dune, correct? No. I might just send I'm, you my I, copy because I have multiple paperback copies. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so he's, uh, he steals the book of destiny where you find out he's killing Superman. And then they try to find the paragon of truth, which is uh, Superman. So the first Superman we get introduced to is the Smallville Superman played by Tom Welling, which you find out, which is pretty much a closure for Smallville. We find out he gives up his powers and has a family with Lois, pretty much. And we get introduced to Superman that's been hyped up for the crossover. We get the Kingdom Come Brandon Ralph Superman on Earth-96. So... And then, can I Luthor's, hold on? Yep. Step back. This is our last major topic because we've been gone a while. I'm still getting yeah, you a chance sorry. to do a couple rundowns, and I think we should just tease a best of list and do a, a separate podcast after the new year. That's just best of and predictions, if that's okay. Yeah. Well, well we could, we could, we'll, we'll do the, uh, we'll just do what we're looking for. But 20. hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we get there, because I want this to be the last major topic, rewind. In, in your mind, without a, a ninety-minute explanation, why is why is Crisis Infinite Earths such a loved storyline? What is it about it that attracts DC fans, and, and so they were so geeked to get it on, on TV? Uh, other than just being super cosmic and all the team up. Well, I think one of them was it was the major storyline where they killed off the Flash and Supergirl. Well, as we find out, they haven't really killed off Supergirl, but they did kill off a Flash, the Earth-90 Flash, in the story, in this one. So, we did get that, at least. 
And of course, we but got more. Uh, sorry, so hold, hold on. More, spe- more, less specific, more general. People were super amped. Even I know about Monitor and Christ on Infinite Earth and so forth. As and as I told you, man, and my other contributors, when DC does cosmic well, I've even read enough cosmic DC that I much prefer DC cosmic stuff to Marvel because DC's well, just balls. Hold on, DC's just balls to the wall, crazy and colorful, and that's why I hope I know Aquaman and Wonder Woman seem to be the main two at the moment because of box office performance and they're young and blah blah blah. Nevertheless, it, it, you know even. Though you and I like you know the Steppenwolf stuff and the aliens more in Justice League than most people, to say the least. I, I would still love to see more you know uh, crazy alien stuff on the big screen as well as the small screen on Crisis. Um, and so I guess I'm asking more generally of all the cosmic stories, why in a sentence or two is Crisis so famous and loved? I think it's because you know it's the the story where we take all the universes and combine them into one universe and stuff and we get rid of all the other universes for where people got confused with universe with what universe which is what they're kind of doing right now on the show and it's because you know it is like a big storyline with the monitor and the anti-monitor and stuff and you gather up all these heroes to try to fight the monitor and stuff right like that. and for the record monitor and anti-monitor Right? What was the big critique about the bad guy in Justice League? And you talked about this. Is why are they starting with a minion of the Anti Monitor, right, instead of the Monitor? It was it was actually a minion of Dark Side. Oh, it's so. Dark Side. So what's the relationship between Dark Side and the Monitors? Yeah, the, the difference is Dark Side. His whole thing is he wants the Anti Life Equation, which would which is near the source wall, which goes into the new gods and stuff. The monitor's thing is he wants, he wants to destroy, he wants everyone, he wants, he lives in the anti, I think it's like anti-universe or something like that. It's been a while since I read it, but so he, he destroys stuff with the anti-wave and the monitor can only keep what is there. He cannot, recreate mm. what is so mm. interesting 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 so and 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 we end the uh the last episode because i'm going to skip forward ahead sure. is uh you know we have all the uh paragons which are like the heroes and stuff which we'll talk i'll, I'll just say that i'll just say that for another time they were, they were in like a part outside of reality, like the vanishing point, which is like not in reality or not outside. They're kind of outside of time with all the paragons, which was which would be the brain of Superman. But then he got replaced by Lex Luthor somehow. And that's where they ended. So, OK, so yeah. give me a, a rough rating of this. Uh, just on its own as a three-part uh, series, and then where does it fit in what I consider to be very strong crossovers, mostly um, uh, over the years between uh, um, the the various shows. So, for, so let's do that one first. So, where does this fit among the crossovers that we've seen? I, I give it like a B. I think it's for me. I think it's up there with Crisis on Earth X. 
which was one of my favorite crossovers. That's my favorite by far. That was the last major CW thing I did, but because of the you know the Nazi themes and, and so forth, but also I just heard it was so good, I ended up being on Alistair's NovaStream podcast with Brick Girl. They brought me on to talk about it because I was so emotionally affected. You know, Alistair, he's, he's not afraid of me mentioning this. And my, my fans know Alistair is an openly gay man. I'm an openly Jewish person. Both of our peoples did not fare very well in World War II, Jason Ritter, as I'm sure a smart guy like you knows. And so yes. everyone was affected by Earth X, especially, you know, Felicity X in the death camp and so forth. Uh, um, and, and so my, my feeling was at that point was that the CW is not going to get any better than this. Uh, but and I absolutely enjoyed it. And so, w- w- having seen most of the crossovers and not the most recent one, the most recent one seems great. But beating Earth X with this cast, these casts is going to be tough going forward. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And I know the next episode that they're going to use for Crisis in the New Year is the Arrow episode. So mm. we will see what happens because mm. there's a. We left the episode where Arrow will now become the Spectre, so that will be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, I'd love to move to final section here. You have some quick hits for me. Yep. So we'll just. I think we'll we'll probably combine some stuff here. So why don't we talk about what we uh, like most about this year, twenty nineteen? Awesome. Uh, can I start with mine? Sure. Almost nothing. Um, there's two shows in one movie that I loved, and it's all happened in the last two weeks. All right, go ahead. The movie is, of course, The Aeronauts, starring my girl, my true love, uh, Felicity Jones, and my true bro love, my bro, my, my great, my first and truest and greatest bromance. So this guy, like, if I'm Tony Stark, this guy's my Bruce Banner. Well, you know, like, he, he's my first and truest bromance and man crush, Eddie Redmayne. And so I, who've been, those two have been in films and nominated for Oscars in, together in films before. So they team up again, and they're a bunch of youngins in 1865 trying to fly a high air, hot air balloon to 40,000 feet just for the, for science and for the hell of it. And the, she's the pilot, though. She's in charge. Like, she was like a super feminist character in the 1860s. True story in England. And he was just the scientist. And it's about their developing relationship as they go higher and higher and, 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 and literally start encountering almost death over and over again. And we learn more about their lives, but it's mostly about this flight. The Aeronauts is amazing. But on top of the fact it's amazing, it's an Amazon-funded film. And just like Netflix movies, which, you know, have been getting more and more nominated, Amazon's been putting out great stuff. And so they put it in the theater for a few weeks. And then it's on Prime. I got to see it in the theater. It's a $40 million budget. So an indie movie about Amelia Wren, because it's Amazon, has a $40 million budget. And boy, does it look good. It looks... you real, And they did actually put a hot air balloon like 7,000 feet in the air with the two of them at one point. So it's amazing special effects. Incredible. I mean, Eddie Redmayne's great. It, Felicity's clearly the main character. And, and it's... You, you know I love Felicity Jones, to say the least. This was her best performance ever. I mean, Jenner, so Wally's my favorite in my in my wife. 
waifu, but from a Felicity Jones actress perspective, this was her best performance, most complicated and demanding and challenging ever. And because it's Amazon, it's already on Prime, people. So if you have Amazon Prime and it's on the front page because it's their big movie of the year, um, please, please, please watch The Aeronauts. It's 90 minutes. It's a love letter to science and exploration the way The Martian is, but it's set in the past. And it's mostly about these two actors who, in my opinion, Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones are two of the greatest actors in their generation. And the amount of awards that they've won and been nominated for and all the different properties they've been in shows that to be the case. Um, and two TV shows, which I've already mentioned, man. Uh, the Witcher, obviously. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren Hissrick, showrunner, who, by the way, dude, it, you've probably heard this on my podcast. If you don't know who Lauren Hissrick is and you're not sure about The Witcher, but you like other Netflix shows, well, th- those great Daredevil seasons that people mostly liked, like, that was her. Like, she's Daredevil Woman, and she's done Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and The Defenders as well, but she's mostly Daredevil Woman, and so they'd experience with her, and so they made the showrunner of The Witcher and she loves the material so thank you Lauren Hissrick and of course Henry Cavill and everyone else for beating down The Mandalorian because The Witcher is a much better show and the other show is of course The Expanse Man which is totally up my alley in terms of near future science fiction it has a bit of a Battlestar Galactica feel in that it's dark but it's humanistic and we still have heroes that we're rooting for it's not nihilistic like Game of Thrones for example um, but the writing of the characters was for young actors who are pretty unestablished early on other than Thomas Jane, who's amazing, um, but he wasn't on the show, you know, for, going to be on the show forever. There weren't enough side characters to make it interesting with the central four who weren't written amazingly. But starting last season in season three, and now that Amazon picked it up with a better budget, better writers, you know, more people on the project, season four of The Expanse is up there with my favorite Battlestar series, Stargate Universe, you know, my favorite space opera shows. Uh, Expanse season four is up there. And so after a whole year of of shittiness in my book. I got the great Aeronauts in the theater. I'm going to rewatch it on TV, and I got the great Expanse season four. I'm going back, and dude, I'm now reading the Expanse books. And while James S. A. Cor- <laughs> while James S. A. Corey, who writes uh, the, the Expanse books, is actually two people. That's just the name they go by, and has been called the Game of Thrones of science fiction. Let me tell you guys, it is much better written than Game of Thrones, and has a lot more characters that you're interested in and actually rooting for, and not just rooting for them to die, which is normally what happens on Game of Thrones. Expanse is more like The Witcher in that it's dark, it's violent, but there are good guys that you're rooting for. And so I highly, highly, highly recommend The Expanse. And Jason Ritter, as I throw it to you for your favorite things of the year, you know, uh, would you agree with me there are certain shows you always must start at season one, and there are certain shows you can sort of start at the most current season and then go back if, if they're interesting, right? The, the Expanse right. is one of those, especially because it's moved to Amazon. And while it is a direct continuation from last season on the Sci-Fi Channel, season three, which was the last channel, Sci-Fi Channel, there's enough exposition and great flashbacks along with new characters. You really can watch Expanse season four having not seen the previous ones. And then if you like it, you go back. Um, but get on the Witcher bandwagon now, guys, because you have you have about 14 months they're already filming season 2 and you know they're going to release about every 14 months unlike Game of Thrones which released too many episodes and had too many seasons they have a 5 year plan for The Witcher of only 8 episodes and releasing about every 14 months was sort of the Harry Potter model to give them enough time 
So you have plenty of time with The Witcher, but please, please, please don't wait until season two to get on The Witcher bandwagon because they did the right thing and they're going with the, they started with the original books, which I thought they might skip because um, they're they're very fairy tale esque. It becomes more like standard great fantasy going forward, but this one has lots of things like genie in a bottle and the porcupine creature that turns out to be human with true love. Like there's a Beauty and the Beast story. There's sort of these weird witchery takes on sort of traditional uh, folk tales that lead into the introduction of the Great Witcher uh, main cast and and character. So definitely don't wait on The Witcher. So those are my three, man. You go ahead on 2019. All right. So I'm going to start with my favorite show this year, which was Doom Patrol. I mean, I don't know what else I can say about this show. I mean, it is amazing. It is bonkers. It is, like, crazy. There's an episode where they talk – where they – where they talk to a street that moves all over the place and you know you know the street you know they has to have a party at the street all the time and stuff and there's an episode where you go into the you go into the brain of a, of a person that has 24 different personalities it is crazy so okay so i'm gonna say doom patrol i mean everyone needs i feel people need to watch that that is cr- i mean it's game season two so that has me excited and another show that I really liked this year, which is a show we're going to then talk about, Harley Quinn. That that show is awesome. You, talk about um, it. Why is it, it awesome? Had, People thought it might be awesome. Well, it's pretty much like, you know, like, you know, Rick and Morty-ish type stuff for, like, a cartoon with superheroes. And it's all about Harley Quinn, how she's trying to break away from the Joker and trying to be her own villain and make her own gang and stuff. And most of the show, she lives with poison ivy and stuff like that. And there's a lot of other like craziness going on. Like there's episodes with Batman and then they also bring in the craziest Z list character ever kite man and make him relevant for some reason. And also they, is they, quick question. They bring it. What? I'm not getting back on DCU anytime soon. I, w- I will ask you this, though. Like, to compare to, you know, like, let's say a, a Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which everyone loves and is on the top of my Netflix. Like, I love good adult, adultish or, or somewhat mature anime. Um, is the Harley show good for someone who doesn't normally watch animated stuff and definitely doesn't watch kid stuff? Or is it really more for fanboys and fangirls who just want as much DC it, as possible? It, I think it's for everybody because, you know, it's it's a, it, it's a like, it's kind of like an adult swim type of comedy. So it, it really pushes the bounds and I think people will like it if you like, you know, like adult rate of humor and stuff. Like, I'm trying to think of a good example... Like, there's an episode where uh, Robin tries to make Harley Quinn her nemesis, and then she tries to connect with Wayne so she could be the nemesis of Superman, but then he tries to have, he brings Robin along to help him fight Harley, and then she doesn't want to fight, and then they just leave. <laughs> so, Word. it's that kind of stuff, so. It's very, you know, not, it. Like it's a acquired taste. If you don't like that type of humor, you may not like the show. If you do, then you probably will like it. So, I mean, the problem is I compare everything to the Clone Wars and Rebels on Star Wars because 
not only Lucas Filoni and company at Lucasfilm not write down to the audience or talk down to the audience in Clone Wars and Rebels, but I would agree. I would argue, dude, that with all of the war and violence and themes of genocide and what makes humans humans and deeper force and Jedi exploration, that really Rebels and Clone Wars is darker and more mature than the movies. I mean, Last Jedi and Rogue One are very dark and very adult, but for the most part, the movies are way more shallow. You know, one of the big things about Clone Wars, for those of us who don't love the prequels, is that it makes Anakin actually likable and cool. It makes Padme much more interesting and likable and cool. We get Ahsoka Tano. You know, Ewan is obviously amazing in the prequels, but he just gets so much... But, you know, his character, young Obi-Wan, gets so much more time in Clone Wars. And because he's got Ahsoka now, who's the Padawan of his Padawan, but is also sort of his own Padawan as he tries to teach Anakin how to be a master and just a better Jedi, everything gets better. Everything that's good in the prequels gets better in the Clone Wars, and everything that sucked in the prequels, even things like Jar Jar, you know, become tolerable or even good in the prequels, and of course Ahsoka Tano makes it, but Rebels too. Rebels was the first new property, and it's so adult in, in, the, in the relationships between the characters, and you know, like, just as an example, we know that Sabine Wren ran away from Mandalore, Speaking of Mandalorian, part of the reason I hate it is because we have a ton of awesome Mandalorians from the animated series, from Katie Sackhouse Bo-Katan to my girl Tia Sarkar Sarkar as Sabine, you know, uh, I I mean, we we have all these amazing Mandalorians, but again, like Boba Fett, the only thing that's Mandalorian about the Mandalorian is the armor, which is absolutely stupid and I hate. But anyways, we know Sabine leaves home because she had worked for the Empire and and she was being forced to make weapons. that she didn't want to do. Well, they, when they finally go back to Mandalore in the final season, we find out that they are genocide planet-killing level weapons, and that the Empire has started actively using them against the Mandalorians, and so she's indirectly responsible for the genocide of her own people. We don't see that in any of the Star Wars properties, man. Like, even Rogue One is... is, is or I say, only Rogue One is that dark, because we keep seeing populations being murdered over and over again on planets, right? Um, and and right. so to tie it back to what you're saying, is it's not even a matter of tone like oh this voice is a caricature you know because like I love Mark Hamill as the Joker and this proves that it can go either way which is you can get animated series stuff with Mark Hamill and the Joker but you can play the same character in the Arkham Knight games which let's be clear are for mature audiences and are very dark and adult and so that can go either way DC's done a great job so my question to you uh, uh, was uh, uh, or, or you know maybe you already answered this but to rephrase in something I'm familiar with is it does it have things about it that are actually somewhat grown up uh, going on the way Rebels and Clone Wars does, or is it just a watchable cartoon? Um, there are some things that are grown up, and then sometimes it gets watchable. Like there's an episode where she tries to be the first female villain, and then they sent her to the first female villain that failed, and trying to show her that she may not be the first, she may not make it as a villain by herself so yeah so so yeah so it's a it's a good show um we just it i still need a few more episodes but alan tudyk obviously he steals this show because he plays joker and one of harley quinn's associates clayface who acts like a really like shakespearean actor as clayface so it's great it gets crazy people are sleeping on cassian and k2 but 
I think after two seasons of Mandalorian, people are going to realize Mandalorian's not great. And then when you add the fact that it's the guys who did the Americans, the acclaimed Americans TV show that won a million awards, who are doing, who are spy thriller people, who are doing Cassini and K2, I don't think people realize how much they need. Let's put it this way. Star Wars fans who have been burned by Mandalorian and, uh, and the movie, uh, I, I think they don't realize how much they need K2 back in their lives, but also how much more humor we can get out of K2SO with Alan Tudyk because he's so brilliant. Sorry, I had to, I had to plug that. Yeah, yeah. And obviously he was Mr. Nobody in Doom Patrol, but yeah. But Those those are some of the ones I really liked in 2019, and also the other one would be Shazam, but I talked about Shazam! that. Shazam! Which I still have to see, by the way. Yeah. I mean, you should. It's set in Philly. So, um, I know, but this is the thing, dude, is that that's not a selling point for me. Like, let's put it this way. People have been like, oh, you like Rocky and Creed because it's in Philly. I'm like, no, I love that Rocky's from Philly, but like, I love Rocky and Creed because they're great fucking sports movies. That's. That's not the only selling point, but I'm just saying it's just... It's no, 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 I know. I just... I, I wanted to share with you that particular story. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah and, I, and I do want to see it. I, I absolutely do uh, want to uh, want to see it, so... Yeah, and, and they're making a sequel, so, you know... But I, I, I will say, dude... I gave Aquaman like five minutes, and I'm like, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. And to wrap around... I know you you had you called Wonder Woman universe and I love Gal Gadot but look I I think an Aquaman universe is really dumb and it's going to backfire and they're going to lose tons of money. I think Wonder well, Woman universe, hold on. I think Wonder Woman universe could succeed. I just don't think they need it, but why are they why 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 are they committing to these multi-movie This is why Star Wars isn't doing trilogies anytime soon. Specifically for this reason. Is stop committing to movies, you know? It's like, you know, it's like Lucasfilm casually mentioned Boba Fett 5 years ago and then everyone assumed we were getting a Boba Fett movie and th- that wasn't even a commitment. Now they're committing to like 8 movies between Aquaman and Wonder Woman. I, I just think again is DC overreaching. I I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they're thinking. Yeah, and Yeah, well, we'll see what happens, you know. You know, we'll see what happens in the next decade. So. We'll see what happens in the next decade. That's the best you got from from Bizzlecast specialist on DC Comics. The best we got to close this out from Jason Ritter is uh, we'll see what happens in the next decade. Cause, 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 because we're going to get a lot of movies next year, obviously. We're going to get um, mm-hmm. obviously we're getting The Birds of Prey and Wonder Woman, so that's what we got from DC next year, so. Can you imagine if Birds of Prey does better than Wonder Woman? I mean, here's the thing, man. Uh, uh, my my mind will that that yeah. would here's, that will be that will be how you yeah. feel about Mandalorian. That would be me. Well, way cause. worse because the Mandalorian is actually like you know being done by talented people and people you know think artistically is good, even if I don't love it. You know, that kind of thing, like. There's no way Birds of Prey is going to be artistically good. I will say, though, man, we always, no matter how bad things might get, um, we have Batman 2021 in our back pocket that we know is going to be good. The problem is, if Birds of Prey is bad, and if Wonder Woman is not as good as we want slash think and it underperforms, 
you know, Batman's Batman. It shouldn't affect it. But again, Batman v Superman didn't even make a billion dollars, and that had Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. And so, while Matt Reeves is a much better director, sorry, I always trash Zack Snyder. Uh, Well, Matt Reeves is much more my kind of director, and I have way more confidence about this Batman than ever I did Zack Snyder's Batman. Uh, You know, I do worry about if the next year doesn't go well. But you and I, from a personal standpoint, have Batman in our back pocket. But Batman, if these movies aren't good for various reasons in this upcoming year, dude, then it puts a lot of pressure on Batman to be amazing, or else Alistair's prediction of going down the toilet is going to look a lot more realistic, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I think Batman's going to be amazing, and of course, you know, that year too we will get, um, you know, if, you know, that's going to be amazing, and after that it should help with them also having next, after that, after that date, we should have that year the Suicide Squad and Black Adam. Word up. Word up. And then we're going to get, obviously, Shazam 2, Flash mm-hmm. 2, and mm-hmm. Aquaman 2. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, dude. Um, well, this was an awesome podcast. Again, I think we should save our predictions for 2020 for next time. We've already kind of talked about it. Other than Black Widow and Wonder Woman, anything in, in either of the verses, as they say on Firefly, in either of the verses, uh, other than the two big tentpoles that you're particularly excited about for next year? Um, well, you know, Wonder Woman, um, I'm excited about a non-tentpole movie, Tenet, which stars our boy, Battenson himself. And it with Christopher Nolan. So oh, that he's was, looking so good too. Oh man, mid thirties, yeah. patents and Liz Smolder yeah, like, looking great. The suit with a suitcase. I'm like, that's Bruce Wayne walking into Wayne Industries yep. and having it be a Christopher Nolan movie. Man, let's be honest. Christopher Nolan works with the same awesome actors, and for future Batman to be working with the Dark Knight genius himself, we couldn't ask for anything better. And the fact that he's the 1A, 1B side, but semi-lead, but not the lead character, and the Black Eyes the lead character, he's the support character in the Christopher Nolan in his return to big budget movies. This is perfect for our guy, Robert Pattinson! Yep, so I'm excited for that one, obviously, so... I guess what I'm saying is, I'm more excited about seeing Pattinson in any Christopher Nolan movie than I am about this particular movie. It looks a little Inception-y to me, which is the one Nolan movie I'm not crazy about, but just getting a Nolan movie with Pattinson is making me excited. Yeah, that that's why I'm so pumped for this movie, so... Yeah, uh, Alright, pal, any final thoughts, and then we'll sign out? No, but, you know, the future is looking bright again because, you know, we're going to get some, probably get some Batman stuff next year. So that has me very, very excited. So really quickly, Jason uh, and Bizzlers uh, out to you people. Every time I do polls, nobody responds. But a lot of you get in touch with me publicly or privately online. Jason, at the moment, we're between our next commentary being Wonder Woman or The Dark Knight Rises, right? Basically. Right, right. So, yeah, if well, you guys out there have a strong preference, 
I've done look. I've done Dark Knight Rises, but it was with Aaron Slavutin, which was many, many years ago, and so much has changed since then. And we have a lot more points to talk about. And Ritter is a much more deep dive DC than either myself or Aaron Slavutin. So it would be a totally new podcast, and it's been many years. Wonder Woman. I've been sitting on two thirds of a Wonder Woman podcast with my dad for over a year, but haven't finished it. Um, and so I, I could go either way. So if you Bizzlers out there have a preference, let me know. And Ritter, you and I will, will discuss it. Um, We've got New Year coming up, but until February, where we have Clone Wars, but also Birds of Prey, we're going to have January to do stuff. So, is it realistic? I don't want to promise anything to the listeners, but is it realistic that our next podcast might be a commentary, and it may happen in the first couple weeks of January? Yeah, it, it may happen, you know. Well, it's going to happen eventually, but what I'm asking you is, would you like that to be the next podcast in January or whatever? Yeah, yeah, I think we'll, I think we're, I think we're due for a, another commentary after Justice League. Awesome. All right, J Bone, (laughs) Mr. Ritter, thank you so much, dude. I think if I have to sum up this entire two hour podcast is, we're still excited about Batman 2021 and everything else can go to hell. Yep, and, I'm excited for, I'm excited for Batman, but you know, Wonder Woman is a good, good thing to hold me over till Batman comes out. Also, think about what I have to do to get you to watch The Witcher in terms of level of number of personal favors or something. But that'll be for another time. Um, so thank you, yeah. Bizzlecast listeners. Again, thank you for all the support. It's been a great end of the year. It was a year where I even briefly during the summer was releasing so few podcasts and was so busy doing other stuff but getting tired of it and didn't have a lot of topics I cared about. Also had contributors that weren't around, but then I was able to bring back like Alistair and Jedi Geek Girl and then, of course, Ritter, you coming on not only helped my ratings but had a regular contributor so all of those things having more stuff to talk about the witcher obviously the star wars stuff as usual um so it ended up being a great year in a year i thought maybe the bizzle cast will go on indefinite hiatus that is not happening people and i as of this recording i just released um or just before this recording released episode four of the witch ass season one which is the best uh, the first great episode is episode four of eight and is the best story in the first couple books in my opinion i'm totally giddy the entire time during the podcast because it's such a bonkers off the wall crazy crazy face crazy balls kind of story so check that out and i'm gonna have the back half of the series the other four coming at you in the next few days uh jason ritter thank you for joining me any final thoughts for the bizzlecast listeners yes i already downloaded episode four Woo! wait you haven't watched the series though I need something when I when I get to watch the series soon. Oh, so. oh, 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 nice. And, and by the way, guys, I am... Not only is it spoiler, because I'm assuming you've seen the series, but, like, the actual series saga, like, the main fantasy saga that this is all leading up to doesn't start until next year. And so be warned that I am revealing some things that happened in the main saga. Uh, only a handful of things, but it's because some of them... You know, are, are things that you can't really discuss without. So if you really want to be unspoiled on what comes after this first season, uh, listen to the first two or three commentaries because starting at number four, I start talking about like who Dooney the Hedgehog is in real life and so forth, series, parentage, and family, and blah, 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 blah. So, anyways, that sounds cool, Jason. Oh, thank you again for being on. Thank you, Bizzlecast listeners. Hope you are enjoying your holiday seasons. Have a great New Year since this is probably the last podcast. Happy New Year, Jason. Happy New Year, Bizzle. And um, to all you out there, may the force be with you, but for now, the Bizzlecast is out.